views of Christ and his kingdom and past, present, and future. And that first chapter deals with the eternal past, showing the glorified Savior and uh, perhaps giving us a glimpse of how he left that glory when he came down in the form of a man. Uh, He emptied himself of that previous glory in order to suffer as a man the things that he could not suffer as God. Uh, because God cannot hunger, God uh, cannot become weary, God cannot die. And yet Jesus Christ, the God-man, came. And in that first chapter of Revelation helps us understand what he left in order to accomplish redemption. You know, we've been studying the the history of redemption through the book of Exodus and And it's interesting to me how that that fullness of redemption is captured uh, in the book of Revelation. Beginning with chapter 2 and going through chapter 3, we we see the, the message of Christ, the resurrected Savior to the seven churches of Asia. And those uh, instructions are just as appropriate today as they were 2,000 years ago. They are befitting to the people of God in every age. So the book of Revelation is not a book to be feared. It's not a book to be shunned or ignored, but to be valued and to apply the principles that we see in this book to our lives today. But then chapter 4, we begin to see the opening of the seven seals. The seven seal judgments that will befall the last generation of human beings upon old earth. And we see how that when the seventh trump is blown, uh, the seventh seal is open, seven trumpets are blown, each revealing a more intense form of judgment upon the wicked, judgment upon those that know not God, that reject the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel. And in that seventh trumpet, you see the seventh angel pouring out the seven bowl judgments upon the face of the earth. It's a tremendous and tragic time in human history. But all of this is unfolding God's purpose. As mentioned tonight, there's a purpose for even the evil rulers of humanity. There's a purpose for every nation. It rises and it falls under the sovereign hand of a holy God. And we come to chapter 22 with that understanding because in 21 and 22, we see God unfolding a new creation. We talked last time about the new heavens and the new earth that will be created ultimately by the same voice and the same power that created the first one. We see the new Jerusalem, just an unimaginable city a city so immense that we we we've never seen or experienced anything anything like it it's hard to imagine uh, walls around a city 1400 miles cubed 1400 miles wide 1400 miles long and 1400 miles high all expressive of the triumph of the trinity the father the son and the holy spirit 
And we want to note before we go into our study tonight in 22 that the gates were of pearl. Now, he could have chosen any uh, special uh, metal, any special diadem, any special kind of uh, gate, but he chose a pearl. And we need to be mindful that a pearl is formed through struggle. Uh, it's formed through uh, suffering. We read about an oyster, and, and as they're eating, they get a, a, a grain of sand under their tongue. And the oyster, God made the oyster to where he would secrete a fluid around that, that grain of sand that's, that's irritating his tongue, and, and it soothes it and, it, and it continually coats it through time it becomes what we know as a pearl but it begins with that suffering and i believe in the wisdom and holy providence of god that every time we look at those pearly gates we're going to be reminded of the suffering of jesus christ that made redemption possible the suffering of our savior in that in that day all through eternity will be mindful of how it was that sinners, broken and undone sinners, could live in a perfect habitation where sin is no longer present. In chapter 22, John says in verse 1, And, I, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. The old heaven and old earth have received judgment, but now the new heavens and the new earth radiate divine perfection. I want you to notice how this language connects us to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. I want you to see how God is restoring that original design for the earth and man to honor and please God how that's ultimately fulfilled in the last day he shows me this river of life there's a river that is symbolic of eternal blessing Eden had an earthly river according to Genesis chapter 22 uh, chapter 2 verses 10 through 14 but New Jerusalem will have a heavenly river a pure river as clear as crystal. This is the first point I want to make tonight. This is an eternal condition. There, there, there's no pollution here. There, there's nothing that would pollute this eternal habitation of God and his people. Verse 2, in the midst of the street of it and on each side of the river, there was, that, uh, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And the word healing there comes from a Greek word that means therapeutic. Uh, ther a therapeutic condition, a healing condition. The second point I want to make tonight is that heaven's pure world will not only be eternal, an eternal habitation, but it'll also be satisfying. It'll be satisfaction guaranteed. Healing 
of every kind. In Eden, the tree of life was guarded by cherubim with a flaming sword that kept man from the tree of life. Remember, it kept the way to the tree of life. But here, you no longer see the sword. You no longer see the angelic guards. You see accessibility. In, fa in fact, an invitation to participate or partake of this holy fruit. Paradise that was lost in Eden is now regained in heaven. Isn't that marvelous? I could stop right there and rejoice tonight. Just, just stop right there. That's all we need. Satisfaction guaranteed. Verse 3, And there were no more, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. Now, last time I mentioned this uh, curse that has been forever removed. There's four aspects of that curse that was uh, forever removed by Jesus Christ Himself. According to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, he became or was made a curse for us, as it is written. Cursed is every man that hangeth upon the tree. When Jesus was upon the tree, he had a crown of thorns placed upon his head. The thorns represented the judgment that God imposed upon the earth after the fall of Adam. Jesus took that curse upon himself. Four aspects of that curse that is found in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Sweat, sorrow, pain, and death. These were fulfilled by Jesus Christ himself on our behalf. Because in Galatians 3, he was made that curse for us. In Luke chapter 22, verse 44, we read that his sweat was as great drops falling to the ground. Intense Agony, agonizo, warfare. He was under a heavy, heavy load uh, while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he went to the cross. Jesus took away that uh, curse of, of the sweat through his own suffering in the Garden. And he carried our sorrows, Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 12. He was wounded for our iniquities. He poured out his soul even unto death according to the prophetic view of the Messiah. Jesus did all of that for you and all of his family. And they're the ones that are going to be the citizens, the inhabitants of this eternal habitation. And what are we going to do? His servants shall serve him. Now notice that. Not float around on a cloud through eternity strumming a holy harp, but actually working. In fact, I fancy myself to be one of the leaders of the street sweeping campaign. But be that as it may, I'm glad to read that we can serve him there. We can work, actually work. You know, people look upon work today as some kind of a curse, but I'm telling you, uh, Adam was created to work. God made Adam to till the ground, of, of, to take care of that garden. That takes work, but there's pleasure in that work. Now, brothers and sisters, some of us, especially when we're working in mud, uh, we don't enjoy our work here like uh, <clears throat> I believe we will one day. But whatever it is, I'm glad 
that we're going to be able to work there. That, that has a lot of satisfaction for me. But uh, notice, we sang a song tonight, verse 4. They shall see his face. Now, I want to stop and see the significance of that expression. Because when we go back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, God said, no man can see my face and live. Remember when Moses met with God in the mount? Remember? God put him in the cleft of a rock and made his glory pass by him, but he could not see his face. He could only see his hinder parts. He could only see the back of God. But there's a day coming when we'll see his face. And we will live because we have no sin. No impurity. Isn't that wonderful to think about? They shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. Now that's a personal possession. No unglorified person could ever live in the presence of God. No unglorified person. Um, I meant to mention this in Exodus chapter 33. That's, that's where Moses was placed in the rock. But I want you to think about this just for a moment. How is it that you and I lay claim to this inheritance? How is it that you and I have this hope tonight that we'll be there? Do you, do you remember the song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder? I'll be there. Um, what assurance do you have tonight that you'll be there? I'm going to tell you something based upon the authority of God's word. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting him wholly for your salvation, you might not be there. You might not. Don't sit there and say, well, my mom and dad believe. That means I'm safe. Don't. We're talking about personal possession. Uh, his name is personally inscribed upon every heir of promise this is ownership bought by the blood of jesus christ that's who's going to be there now watch this and there shall be no night there we sang that song tonight didn't we there's no night there there's there's no things that go bump in the night there's no scary shadows there's none of that there's there's none of the evil that is so pervasive in our world today None of that's there. There's no night there at all. And they need no candle, uh, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever. Now, uh, underscore that word reign. See, one of the things that Adam lost in the fall was his ability to reign. He became a servant from that day forward. Even unto death. 930 years later he physically died. But I want you to know when he participated in the uh, partaking of that forbidden fruit. He died spiritually. He died to the things of God. He died to the pleasure of God. He died to the uh, fellowship with God. And Jesus came that we might have access unto the Father once again. But brothers and sisters, 
He made it to where we will reign as kings and priests. It's hard for us to even imagine that. But here it is. That paradise lost is now regained. They shall reign. How long? How long is this reign going to be? Forever. Eons, as the word is. Uh, ages upon ages. And he said unto me, these, thing, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God uh, of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. When you read that, shortly be done. Um, the, 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 the expression, quickly or shortly, is translated from a word that literally means, uh, that little, uh, I wrote it down on the other page, that literally means swift. I, I, was, I was trying to get the right word, swiftly. And what that means is simply this. Now, we've been reading this for 2,000 years, right? So how is that swift? In the context of this promise, he says, when you see these things unfold, when these judgments are poured out upon this earth, you better understand and know that his coming is swift. I believe it's at the end of the seven-year period of tribulation. Behold, I come quickly, verse 7. Now, this is beginning the epilogue. This is the last chapter. This is the last paragraph of the last chapter of this study. Behold, I come quickly. Isn't it interesting that this expression is found three times in the epilogue? I come quickly or swiftly. This is assurance. Uh, if I can use this word, I know this is a 50-cent word, Imminence. This is the imminent character of the coming of Christ. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to, not for a moment, you don't have to question whether Jesus is coming back again. He's coming. He's coming. And uh, he's coming for his bride. And he's going to take her home. And I don't want you to forget what Jesus taught us in John chapter 14, verse 2, when he said, In my Father's house there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Notice the word place. Somebody says heaven's just kind of a figment of somebody's imagination, you know, so that we can kind of uh, help ourselves mentally get through the drudgery of, of this world. Wrong. Wrong. It's a place. It's a place. The word place in John chapter 14, verse 2, is the same word we get topography from. Topographical. It's a geographical location. It's a place. Uh, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will return and, re uh, and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It's a place. Jesus Christ is in that place tonight, waiting for the day when he'll come back and receive his bride. Isn't that beautiful? The Apostle Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Do you love Jesus tonight? Do you love him? 
Well, what I'm talking about tonight is for you. It's not for those that don't love him. It's not for those that aren't looking for him to come a second time. It's not for them. It's for those who are looking for his second coming. And I, John, now he's going to speak up again. You read this in the first chapter. But now he's going to speak again. And I, John, saw these things. I, John, saw these things. He didn't, he di- he didn't just uh, receive it from a report. He didn't receive it from another witness. He said, I saw these things. In the spirit, he was able to see these things and heard them. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Now, don't be so quick to criticize John for doing this. You do the same thing. I do the same thing. This holy messenger from heaven, I'm going to bow down in submission to what he told me. And that's an acknowledgement that I believe what you said is true. But watch this. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not. This is the angel saying, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Here it is. Worship God. Worship God. You know, in our culture today, there is a huge uh, belief in angels. I mean, many people talk about angels and, 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 and talking to their angels or uh, serving their angels or acknowledging their angels. But, but a true angel from God will always point us to worship God alone. Always. He says, don't worship me, worship God. And he saith, and he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Now this is in um, contrast to what we read in Daniel chapter, uh, 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 chapter uh, 12, verses 4 through 10, when God revealed what he was going to do at the end of the age uh, to Daniel. He says, Daniel, I want you to seal this up in a book. I want you to seal it because the time is not yet. But now, God is saying to John, these things are now ready to come about. Now, I don't want you to seal up the book. I want you to share it. I want you to spread the words of this book about because the time is at hand. Um, He that is unjust, and this is a curious verse here. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still, unrighteous. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. You know what I read in uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 10? It says, the wicked shall do wickedly. In other words, man sins not to become a sinner, but man sins because he is a sinner. That's who he is. And brothers and sisters, I'll tell you, we've had a a terrible tragedy in Memphis, Tennessee. Recently, a young mother was jogging and was attacked and killed by this criminal, this lifetime criminal. And it, it just sucks the life out of a community. Everybody talks about it. Everybody's sad about it. But can I say something as bad and as wicked and as evil as that is? If it were not for the grace of God, 
that's exactly who we would be. That's exactly what we would be. It's God's grace that rescued us from that kind of behavior. So when we read this, it says, okay, let the unjust be unjust still. In other words, the day of repentance is over. People say, oh, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve the Lord, all right, but, <clears throat> but I'm, I'm young and strong and I've, I've got all of this energy and, and I want to spend it living for myself and living for the world and living for the devil. But, but when I get through doing what I want to do, then I'm going to serve the Lord. Then, then I'll have time to serve the Lord. Who said you'll have time? Who, who guaranteed you tomorrow? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Harden not your hearts. Today is the day of commitment to Christ. And I'm going to tell you, and, and, I, and this is very unpopular among us, but I believe there's a day when the door of grace is going to close. There's a day when that door is going to shut. And there will be no repentance. There will be no uh, turning to the Lord. That day shut. So he says, let the unjust be unjust still. Um, Because they're not going to be granted repentance. In verse 12, and behold, I come quickly again, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work shall be. Brothers and sisters, he's coming with a reward. Now, I believe in the reward of grace. I believe he's got a reward of grace for all of the elect family, all of the redeemed, all of the blood-bought. It's a reward of grace. But there's also a reward for the wicked. No, uh, no wickedness is going to be unanswered. Uh, there's a payday someday for the wickedness of mortal man. And that's why... They despise the teaching about God. Don't be deceived. That's where the Darwin's theory of evolution came from. uh, And that evolutionary thought that wants to escape the reality of the existence of God. The reason is not that they don't want to credit him with creation. The reason is they don't want to be accountable to the God that created all things. You see? And has a right to judge them. See that's what they're trying to escape. But there's no escape. His reward is with him. Listen. Verse 13. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. Remember Alpha, Omega. The first and last letters of the Greek um, the Greek language alphabet. Jesus is the beginning and the end. He is. Uh, he's not only the creator. He's not only the prototype. He's not only the architect. But he's also the one that comes along and finishes what he purposed to build. The Alpha and Omega. That's why I believe in definite atonement. I believe in, uh, I, I, I believe in the doctrines of sovereign grace so strongly tonight. Because I know who the architect is. I, I know who he is. I'm a member of his family. I know who he is. And he doesn't fail. He doesn't fail. All of the redeemed are going to be in heaven without the loss of one. In verse 14, he says, blessed are they. Remember, here's the seventh of seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation. 
and and they're all very similar that's a great study by the way to to study these beatitudes together but listen to this verse 14 he says blessed are they that do his commandments not blessed are they that know his commandments but blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right or or, or privilege to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city now remember what those gates are made of what are they made of pearl See, none of the citizens of this city are going to be there because of their own goodness or own works or own uh, intellect. But because and by virtue of the sufferings of a perfect Redeemer, every one of them are going to go through this pearly gate and be reminded of the price that was paid for their sins. They're going to go into that city cleansed, Hebrews chapter 9 Verse 14, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. We're redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God without spot and without blemish. But watch this. Watch this, verse 15. For without or outside this city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the whoremongers, the murderers, the idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. He's describing every level of immorality imaginable. And he says, they're, they're, they're the people that are going to be outside the city. Now, somebody says, well, Brother Jeff, uh, you, you mean there's no grace for them that have committed such things? That's not what I said. That's not what I said. What I said was that there's coming a time when there will be no repentance given to these individuals. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. And this is also unpopular, but it's the truth. There's a day coming when every knee is going to bow. Charles Darwin, his knee's going to bow. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a day coming when Adolf Hitler is going to bow. There, there's a day coming when all of these uh, uh, evil men are going to bow before the God that they denied, before the God that they rejected. Before the God that they spurned, there's a day coming when that's going to happen. I, Jesus, verse 16, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. This is where you're going to learn the word of God. In the churches. Don't tell me the church isn't important. Don't, don't tell me that the church is, is way down the list of my priorities while I live in this world. This is where we learn the truth. He says, I've, I've showed these things to the churches. Now watch this. I love this. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Jesus is the source of David's life and lineage in his deity, but in his humanity... He descended from David's family. Isn't that amazing? He's the God-man. Much could be said on that. He says, I'm the bright and the morning star. His brilliant light will dispel forever man's darkest night. And the Spirit, here he is, capital S, the Spirit and the bride. What are they going to say? Wait a little longer, Jesus. Wait a little longer. Let me, 
Let me get that college degree. Let me, let me have 50 grandchildren. Let, let me see my greats. Wait a little longer, Jesus. No. No. The Spirit and the bride say, come. When? Now. Now. Come. And let him that hears, do you hear it? Say, come. And let him that is a thirst, are you thirsty? Say, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You see here, brothers and sisters, is the weaving in of the fabric of truth. This is gospel truth. The weaving in together of divine sovereignty and our responsibility. You see, God is not going to do for you what he commanded you to do. But you can't do what God commanded you to do unless God does his work in you first. You cannot work out your own salvation with fear and trembling unless God works it in you. You follow me? So he says to all, to the white man, to the black, to the red man, to the brown, to the American and the Chinese, to all the nations, come, take the water of life freely. How, how, how come it's free? Because Jesus paid the price for it. For I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things. God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And brothers and sisters that's why we need to preach the whole council. That's why we don't need to skip around in the Bible. And just choose the verses that agree with what we understand to be true. We need to be honest with God's word. When, when, when we were over there in uh, Revelation chapter 20, I was trying to be honest with you and trying to tell you I don't understand the millennium and everything about the millennium, but I believe it's true because God said it was. But tonight I, I, I'm fearful of, of people that only preach on, just say, uh, Ephesians 1.4. Or Romans 8.28. Uh, without any reference to Romans chapters 1 through 7 and chapters 9 through 16. You follow me? We need it all. We, we need the whole council in order to have a balanced view of God's saving grace. And our responsibility to walk in that grace. That's why I believe this warning is here. Don't you dare add to and don't you dare take from what I have written. So he says this. And he says, if any man shall take away the, from the words of the prophet, uh, book of this prophecy, God shall also take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now, you talk about a scary thought. That, that's a, a sobering reality. We should never handle the word of God deceitfully. He which testifies these things saith. And I love this. <laughs> I've been meditating on this all day today. Surely, surely, certainly, for sure, 
solid gold, genuine leather. Surely, I do come. I'm a coming. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Three closing points here. We have a promise. We have a plea. We have a prayer. We're looking forward to the second coming so much. And, and, the, and the more evil we see and the heartache that we endure and the struggles and trials and tribulations of this broken world that we are exposed to, what, what this is doing, brothers and sisters, is, is just preparing us. It, it's, it's making us long for heaven. See, the gospel itself is to afflict the comfortable, not comfort the afflict, uh, to comfort the afflicted, not afflict the comfortable. It, the, the gospel is intended to stir our hearts toward deeper and more real service to the living king. That's what it's intended to do. People say, well, the, you, all you old Baptists are doing is rocking people to sleep in the, in the cradle of grace. Have you ever heard that? Well, you can rock me in that cradle anytime you want to. Because that's the only one that fits me. I, I, I never tire hearing about the grace of God. But brothers and sisters, the grace of God is intended to stir us up. Not put us to sleep. To awaken our zeal. To, 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 to uh, allow the worship of our hearts to be enjoined to the very realms of heaven itself. Not just on Sunday or Wednesday night. But every day, when you're driving down the road, when you're uh, in your quiet time, when you're just reading the scriptures each morning and evening, uh, those, are the, those are the thoughts that elevate. You know, my wife and I have had this practice for many years of reading the scriptures together, and we, we always rejoice in the truths that we find there, and we, we, we contemplate how these principles can apply to me today. What, what can I do today? To show somebody how much I love Christ. How, 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 can I, how can I enjoy telling somebody what Jesus did for me? You don't have to be a scriptorian to be a witness. You, you don't have to be able to quote 90% of the Bible before you can tell somebody about what you believe. Just tell them what Jesus did for you. Tell them how you found him because he found you. Tell them. Share it. It's a great joy. A great joy. I tell you what. Uh, some of these homeless guys. That I talk to nearly every day. Uh, some of them. You know. You, you, when they come to your window. You know. You're, you're, you're pulled over on the curb to talk to them. And give them something to eat. You know. Some, help them some way. Um, they come to your window and they've got creased brows. It's just the hardness of that life that they're living. It's all over them. They smell bad. And you look in those empty eyes. And you say, here, brother, here's a biscuit or here's, a, here's a, whatever you're giving them. Sometimes a Bible, sometimes a Gospel of John, whatever it is. And they say, what's this for? You just tell them. That's about the one that can help you. 
I can't. Nobody can. But I know somebody that does. Jesus. Now, the reason I'm mentioning that, here, here, here the close. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You know, as we close our study tonight, some of you have made statements. Well, I wish Sister Tammy was here. <laughs> some of you uh, have made statements. You know, this is kind of scary. You read about these judgments. This is kind of scary. And it is from a human standpoint. But when you're standing strong in the grace of Jesus Christ, you don't have anything to fear. There's nothing to fear. COVID, mm-mm. Russian, mm-mm. Chinese, mm-mm. some political parties, mm-mm. you don't need to be afraid because you're standing in the foundation that can never be taken away. May God bless these truths to comfort you and strengthen you and fire you up tonight.